I asked you, what happened in the first one? What happened in the second one? What happened in the third one? And then the last one, the last question there is, compare that to the, to the um, seals and the, what, ha what just happened? Uh, trumpets. Yes. Tonight we're starting in 14, but we're probably going to, I'm going to try to get through chapter 15. And um, as, I, as I read this book, uh, again, I, I kind of said this last week, um, this book is 50-ish years old. I forgot the exact date I found in it. Um, 50, 60 at the most years old. And yet in those 50 or 60 years, a lot has happened, both research-wise um, and, um, in other words, of finding out new things about the Bible, but also finding out new things uh, in, in society and uh, in, in that idea of John didn't know how to say it. I, I come, I've, I, I don't, let me start by praying because I'm, I'm not going to get my brain together for that. God, thank you for uh, bringing us together. Uh, Lord, uh, you know where my brain is and I need you to help me with that. And uh, Lord, may I say the things you want me to say. Um, hush me from saying things I shouldn't say and help us to see what he is here in your text in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you are in, in reading the Bible, studying the Bible, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something, and the background of that is I've been reading my Bible since I could read, okay? I just, you know, we did it around the kitchen table, all of that, and, and so I, I have a familiarity with it, and now when I study for sermons and I study this, I'm going, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm just starting again. It's like, I can't believe I didn't understand this till, or, or understand it this way till now. But the Bible's always that way. If you will bother to dig into it and study, and uh, don't believe what other people say about it, but use that to help you understand it, you will find new insights all the time. Uh, because the, the Scripture doesn't change, and there's only one interpretation of the Scripture, but there's a bunch of applications, Okay. When you say there's one interpretation and a million applications, and, and that is very true. It does not mean we understand the context every time. It doesn't mean we understand exactly how they use those words every time. Um, and uh, can you imagine um, a million years from now, if the world lasted, of course it won't, uh, more, th more than likely. Uh, I can't say that with confidence because no man knows, but... Um, and they, somebody digs up our civilization, and they find language where we said, somebody said, I'm going out to eat. Going out to where? What does that mean? What are you going out of? When you go out, where are you headed to? Where will you be? How did you get the food? Who made it? You have no idea. But to us, if I said I'm going out to eat, you would understand I'm going to a restaurant. I'm not eating at home. So you see my point? The writers of this wrote it the way they lived it, and it's not that it's, it's not inspired by God. Obviously, it is, but sometimes there are those kind of subtleties that we don't catch. And Revelation is a book where John is, is writing out of a context that you and I are totally not familiar with. Now, you may be here, and you are familiar with it, and that's because you're smarter than me, and you studied harder than me, Okay which is, um, it, it's called uh, the second temple time, I believe is the right words, but it, again, it's, it's mainly between, um, it, it is during that time of silence when, when uh, uh, before the New Testament was written, and they call it the, the second temple time, and this is where we get the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha, and these guys were very familiar with those books. Uh, or not, not, yeah, John, John would have known uh, the book of Enoch, especially. That's, that's one that he quotes quite often, and we don't even realize he's quoting it. So as I was looking in this book, and this guy is not a huge, and I said this once before, and somebody didn't understand uh, what I was saying. I was not saying that we should read the book of Enoch, as if it were inerrant, it, is, it tells us what it means when he says, I'm going out to eat. It, that is, you're understanding what John understood. And so what we believe is where it is quoted authoritatively in the Bible, like by Jude and others, then, oh, that must be true. Doesn't mean we believe every word in there. But, just sorry, this is very simple, but I want to say it one more time. 
Um, in this book, we have quotes of the devil. We have quotes of evil kings and evil, evil people. God wanted us to know that, but we have the context of, that's not something you ought to do, but you need to know what he said. You, you follow me? So some, sometimes in Revelation we're going to run on those kind of things. So as I was looking at this chapter, chapter 14 and 15, I'm going, oh my goodness. So many things that I've been studying and looking at, because I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of things these days. I can't get through one book because of, of extra reading because there's so many of them I'm trying to read. And I started, wait a minute, look how this come together. And 14 and 15 are big that way. So I, I hope to get through it, but, you know, I got my doubts. But um, we, want, we want to look at it. Um, where we are, and somebody, uh, that's what I was going to draw on the board, but I can just say it. Somebody was pointing out something to me last week. Was it just last week? After the, the class. And it was something I, I had heard, seen, understood before, but didn't think about it much. Let me just say that these chapters are between the seventh trumpet and the bold judgments. And, and it's like John took a break and he's letting us see because there's this huge setup. Because I'll go ahead and ask you, uh, you're going to be answering the questions next week about chapter 16. But what is happening in chapter 16? I could just, you just picked up a sheet of paper and it tells you everything you need to know to answer that question. The bowls. All the bowls are in chapter 16. I, I made sure I looked because I didn't want to say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 unless they're all seven there. And they are. Do you know what is significant about the bowls? And again, you could guess and you'd guess right probably that of what I'm thinking. I could say that and it could be a million answers, but... What is the most significant thing about the bowls? Well, that is very good, and that's something I hope you heard, Cameron. The bowls are absolutely just the wrath of God being poured out on, on a sinful world. It's something else. You raised your hand. There's seven of them, right? And that is important because there's seven each, seven, 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 but one seven, God said, don't talk about that. Now, it might be he just wanted to balance out three sevens. I don't know, so it'd be seven, seven, seven. Uh, the Hebrew idea of perfection. I, I say that very tongue-in-cheek. I doubt that's what he did. Um, there's something else about those bowls, though. It, if you can quote the great theologian Porky Pig, you'll know. Yeah, that's all, folks. That's it. That's the end. But that's all, folks. This is it. I mean, now there's chapters after that, but this is the ending of time. Now, what you're going to find when you get to the last bowl is what we've been saying. God's saying, because the last bowl, he says, it is done. Well, there's a lot that has to happen after the, it is done. A movie, very few movie stories, TV shows, books, whatever, end. And then you're just like, what? And there, you know, there's nothing. Some, some of them do. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I, I, one of my favorite books ends that way. It just leaves us... This young teenage white guy who thinks he's a who was adopted by Indians standing in a trail and he can't go to the Indians because they'll kill him because he betrayed them and he can't go back to the white people because he helped kill one of his relatives and he's standing there screaming, where do I go, what do I do? There is no resolution in that book and boy, I like that. That really gets me. Well, so we come to the seventh bowl and then we start seeing kind of how the end is unfolding. Um, and, and I realized in thinking about that, that every time I've ever looked at Revelation, when I read it, I thought, okay, it's happening right there and now, it's got to it's be right there. Well, th this guy keeps using a word that you probably know, but I had to look it up. I won't even tell you the, the word, because it doesn't matter. But it means I'm speaking as if it already happened, but it hasn't. Propolectically is the word. And John is doing that. He's seeing what God's showing him, and he's saying it as if it's happened. But God is letting him see in, into the distance, which is what we're seeing in 14 and 15. He is, most of that is coming. It's an encouragement. It's a hope. Last week, I pointed out in chapter 13. Um, well, let me, let me look it up, and I'll, then you'll get it right. I still hadn't even gotten to that other first thing I was going to say. Um, I bring this little Bible because I can turn the pages faster. 
Um, it, in chapter 13, in ooh, verse 10, at the end of it, it says, Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In chapter 14 and verse 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Not word for word, but almost word for word, but the exact same thing, just expand a little bit. Because in chapter 14 and 15, I mean 13 and 14, I, should, I said 14 and 15, um, in those chapters is this persecution of the saints. It is... And, so that, in, that, that call for endurance and faith is repeated because it's so necessary. So here's what I was going to say, so I pointed out, because last week we talked about the, the, uh, the, the beast or the antichrist and the false prophet, and we were talking about um, the devil always imitates what God has done, or try, you know, he, always is, he always gives you a counterfeit to try to pull you that way. So you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. The Son became a man and came to us. The Holy Spirit, no man, uh, well, yeah, as far as, no, we, we will see a manifestation of him. Um, but we, Jesus said you don't see the Spirit, but he's like the wind. You see the effect it has, but you don't see the wind itself. And by the word, way, the word Spirit is pneuma, which is wind, Okay. So now, now you've got Satan, the Antichrist, the man, and the false prophet who acts like the Holy Spirit, who empowers the Antichrist as the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus and empowers the saints. So the lie is, if you'll follow him, you'll be like this. And uh, you asked me last week, could we be fooled and taking the mark? And I, I don't think we can. Um, but that is going to be the pressure to do it. So much stuff is happening, happening in the medical world um, that uh, they can artificially uh, grow organs if, if they want to in a lab. And I didn't understand this till the COVID vaccine, but in the 70s, they, they um, harvested DNA from, from uh, aborted babies from their, I think their umbilical cords, but anyway, they harvested that and have used it ever since. When you get a vaccination, that is used to make it more usable in the human body. So, with COVID, the Johnson shot was made that way. The other two were not. And so, you know, there were some Christians that said, I'm not going to do that because it came from the 70s. They're not aborting babies to do it now, they, they're still using that, but they were, able to re, they were able to take that combined RNA with the things and grow what they needed. Every time, and I will be doing it when I leave here today, I fill this with insulin. It is, it is human insulin grown in a laboratory. It's a product of your body, my body, that's grown in a laboratory, and then I inject it in my body. So we're there. You know, we, we get all, oh, I can't believe this. Well, guess what? You and I have been living with that and didn't even know it. So imagine in the future they are able to give you a shot that changes you to being uh, smarter, stronger, without exercise, whatever. And, of course, you would want your children to get ahead, and you'd want them to have that vaccine, too, wouldn't you, with the other hundred ones they give you? And, and that would just make them a superhuman. And they'll live longer, they'll be smarter, and you say no, well, they're going to be left behind. They're going to be weaker and not as, have as high an IQ as all their classmates. So they're, 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 that's a possibility. That's a pressure possibility. So you understand not only just buy, sell, and eat, as John tells us, and I think that's going to be the main thing. It's just going to be an economic system. And I don't know if y'all have been keeping up with the news. <laughs> Since the last week, man, there's been a ton of stuff coming out um, of Sudan and, oh gosh, it's just, it's a mess. It's more than you can keep up with today. So, I want us to look at chapter 14, and I'm going to try to kind of go in order, and I, I marked up my book real, hopefully real well, because I just started getting fascinated by what we're seeing there. Um, and I just, this, this author, some of it, like I said, it's dated, and I'm going, you know what, he wouldn't have said that today. 
Um, but, but let's look at the text, uh, verses 1 through 5 of Revelation 14. That was a long introduction, sorry. So he says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the a roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures, before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Alright, so we have the reappearance of 144,000 redeemed people. All right. This time it doesn't say they're all males from the tribes of Judah. Uh, I mean, from, yeah, from the family of uh, Jacob, I should say. It's just 144,000. What cult used this verse? Man, y'all are good. Uh, what was the guy's name? Walter was his last name. I can't remember his first name. Um, I believe it was his last name. He, he translated a Bible for everybody. Um, and uh, in a court of law, was asked, uh, could he read Greek? And he said, yes. And the lawyer was trying to trap him. And um, he said, well, then read this and handed him a piece of a, a page out of the New Testament in Greek. And his lawyer, being smart, jumped up and said, can you now read it? And he said, no, I can't now, but I could then. Um, that he got divine help reading it. Um, got a guy really mad at me telling him that one time. He had worked in the... Watchtower office. Well, they'd like to know that there. I said, well, I'll go get the documentation for you if you want. And he didn't want it, I guess. Um, so anyway, yeah, so they said it was only 144,000. They'd all be Jehovah Witnesses. And then they passed 144,000 in membership. And so they had to revise their idea. So it's the best 144,000 to get in. So you've got to be a really good one to get in. So if you buy that whole lie, then you're going to be on the weekends giving away a lot of magazines so you can get into heaven. Um, all cults are messed up about who Jesus is and how we get there. But look, look at these words. Um, what is Mount Zion? Okay, yes. We, it is Jerusalem. Uh, that's the name of the mountain that Jerusalem is built on. And so it's always represented the place for God's people. Now, do you think that Mount Zion is Jerusalem? Or do you think that Mount Zion is the heavenly, um, the one coming down? Let's put it that way. Because Mount Zion, Jerusalem represents Mount Zion also. It's It's a term, like we're going out to eat, Mount Zion is Jerusalem, it's the city of God, it's God's place, it's God's favorite place, it's where he vacations, no, I'm kidding. Um, sorry, I shouldn't be so cavalier. I'm sorry, Lord, you understand. Um, but, um, it, it, I mean, it, it, is, it is important. Um, notice who these 144,000 are. I'm just saying it could be uh, one, of, one of those uh, things. Uh, Zion, my holy hill. Uh, let, let me just read here what he says about it. Um, here he is standing. The last time we saw the Lamb, he was standing before the throne in heaven in chapter 7 and verse 9. That's the last time we saw Jesus. He is standing here in the holy city, Zion or Jerusalem. Uh, it is possible that Mount Zion is to be understood symbolically as the place of deliverance and victory. The second psalm promises the establishment of God's anointed upon Zion, my holy hill. That's Psalm 2.6. And by the way, Psalm 2... Is all in this from here on out in Revelation. Because Psalm 2 is our marching orders, our author- authorization until Jesus stamped it uh, before he ascended and said, all authority is given to me, go into all the world now. Psalm 2 says, that is where it says that all the nations, that we are to win all the nations back to him. He says, I said to my 
to sit on my right hand until I make the nations of the world your footstool. How's he doing that? Through the church. The church is going to all the nations so that people will be converted from every tribe, tongue, and nation back to 7-9. And I saw some from every tribe and nation. So all this comes together. I'm telling you, it's just, there's so many scriptures just come together in every verse of these chapters, every word. So uh, this Mount Zion could be symbolic of, of coming, the one coming out of heaven. But um, notice here in this, these 144,000, um, sorry, I just want to make sure I said everything about that. Yes. Very good. Yes. These are these are saved people. They are they are uh, people of the earth. You said verse three. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, at the very end. Yes. They are they are the redeemed from the earth. But check out verse one about them. You you're very right, and I appreciate you bringing that out because that's important to it. What's written on their forehead? The name of Jesus and his father's name. So, Yahweh is on their forehead. It's, we belong to him. We worship him. We have no other allegiance but him. These are those who would not give in. Um, and, we, and we run back into that sticky problem, because remember, I, I, I don't agree um, with the view that the first time we see these 144,000, it says there's 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, and these are, and, and the, um, the Tim LaHaye uh, left behind viewpoint is that there are 144,000 virgin male Jewish people who know their tribes, which would have to be supernatural because unless your name ends in Levi or something like that, you don't know what tribe you're from today. Um, so I, I don't personally believe that. I think it's a representation of all the saved, and I believe it's true here as well. Um, and that, that gives you consistency. But we come back into that, that, that term virgin. There's just, like I said, there's so many things there you've got to look at. Oh, boy, don't do that to me now. Be quiet. Um, oh, man, it's going to be alarming all night. I don't know what I'll do. Anyway, um, what, does, what can that term virgin mean other than, it, it, by the way, in, in the biblical thought, a married person is still considered a virgin because they never did it not God's way. So they are still, in Hebrews, in case you need an extra verse, Hebrews 12 or 13, it says the marriage bed is honorable and all and undefiled. And, and there are widows in the Bible called virgins. Yet they were married. They, they had children, but they're called virgins. Why? Because they did not, they did not turn their back on God. They, they stayed, they worshiped only him. One of the things we're going to see in these chapters is... Uh, the other gods that can be worshipped. I just read, was it this morning or yesterday morning, reread the story of, of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, and she, she's going to kill a bunch of people unless they worship her gods, these Canaanite gods. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. I, I heard a guy just this week, he's a, he's a great theologian, and um, it, there's a there's a, a podcast. If, if, I, 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 sh I should be more. I should be careful. But there's a, there's a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministry, and there's a podcast called Theology and Therapy. You would like it, okay? I'll just tell you, it's really good. They have a theologian, they have a counselor, and they have this woman who is a her her emphasis is to help women. Well, the theologian, he's a PhD, Hebrew type studies. He's a, he is an Indian of Indian descent from India, not, 
North America. And um, this week, I, I was listening on another thing. His name is Judd, and I can't say his last name. Um, this week, I, I, I was listening on another thing where he was talking about how they worship those gods in Canaan. And gods, uh, and they worship them through prostitution and child and killing children and debauchery. You know, you think of Pan, you know, get drunk, orgies, all that stuff. Well, North America, we don't worship those gods, do we? But what do we have? We've got pornography, killing infants, um, dr you know, drug and alcohol addiction, sexual perversion. Why? Because those gods are actual spiritual beings that set themselves up as gods and were worshipped in the Old Testament. We don't call them by a particular name in America today, but in other places in the world, they still give them a name and worship those same gods and entities. And what we're seeing, and in the bowls and, and in all of this, we're seeing God do what he did in Egypt, where he Y'all understand every plague in Egypt was against the God of Egypt, one of those same gods. They just changed names through time and, and cultures. It was this and this cult, you know, used to be this, now it's this name, you know. Zeus to Jupiter, you know, whatever it was. And what we're seeing is God's final judgment on all those entities, and especially their big leader, Satan. And all of this Bible stuff is, is coming together. These 144,000 are those, there it goes, it's going to do that all night, y'all, so please ignore it. I would have to stop, take five minutes to change this, uh, refill it with insulin. I should have just done it before I came in, but I was almost late anyway, so I didn't. Um, where was I? Okay, so, so these are 144,000 who have not betrayed God. Why 144,000? 12 is the number of completion, 12 times 12,000. It's the ultimate picture of all the redeemed of all, of all time, Old Testament and New Testament saints. So that's who he is seeing here, in my opinion, this is my opinion. If that's not right, I don't know what the other view would say these 144,000 is. They may say, if I read it right and I think right, those 144,000 are all martyred in the tribulation, and these are only those martyrs. Okay, that, that is, that's right. That's what, that's what they would say. And so, um, it is those 144,000 from earlier, and they're all martyred because these are called martyrs. Do you know that Martin Luther was, is considered a martyr? So, um, when, did they kill, when did the Catholic Church kill him? Yeah, you're right, they didn't. But he's considered a martyr. Why? Because he lost everything. He had to stay in one place. If he stepped foot out, they were going to kill him, and he had to stay. He was, he was thrown out of the church. He was thrown out of society and everything because of the 95 Thesis and his refuse to, to repent of all his writings. And you all remember that the famous, uh, when they brought him to trial at the court in, uh, the, in, in Worms, we say Worms, but in German it's Worms, and they said recant, and he said... Um, Blah, 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 I, I must serve God, not men. Here I stand. I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no less. They didn't kill him. Everybody else, they'd put him on stake and kill him. They didn't kill him. He got, he got out of there, but he could never go out again. And so we consider him a martyr for the faith, and yet he was not put to death. If you stay faithful to God under persecution, you are, what does the word martyr mean, by the way? Yeah, it's a witness. The, word, the Greek word for martyr means witness. And you'll see that word used interchangeably here in Revelation. A witness for Christ, a martyr for Christ. So, especially, let's, let's just take ourselves out of this. Those who, however they got there, there's obviously Christians in the tribulation because they're being killed. However they got there, I believe it's just the church that is here when it starts and they're still there. They, are, they will be put to death by the thousands, if not the millions. I mean, you've got millions of Christians that will probably die in the tribulation. So it's more than 144,000, and we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not the best 144,000. 
it's all of them, because they would not submit under torture and under persecution and under dying, they would not betray the Lamb of God. And they're considered virgins because of that. Hit the Father's heads on their forehead. And I heard the voice of heaven, a roar like many waters, sound of thunder, and the voice was like a harpist playing on their harps. And all those have symbolic meanings. This is the stuff I forget. What does all that mean? Um, let me, let me uh, see if I can catch it real quick. Um, the 144,000 is the same company that was sealed in 7, 9 through 17. This guy says that as well. And here as there, they represent the total body of the redeemed. He said it very quickly and easily, but I, I tried to explain it. Then John hears a voice from heaven um, whose source is not indicated. It just says a voice. But apparently it comes from the presence of God. The voice of the glorified Christ was like the sound of many waters in chapter 1, verse 15. And the four living creatures spoke with the voice of thunder in chapter 6 and verse 1. The musicians are distinguished from the four living creatures and the elders in verse 3. Apparently, they're the angelic host of singers, and their voices rise in a mighty crescendo of sound. Um, and they sing a new song uh, in verse 3. They sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. What is that new song? Yeah, the, 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 we're the redeemed of the Lord, and we're singing that song. Um, and the hymn writer put it, and when in scenes of glory we sing the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story we've loved so long. They're singing the gospel. They're praising Christ. Um, and before the living creatures and the elders, no one could learn that song except the 144,000. Angels can't sing the song of redemption. They were never redeemed and never will be redeemed. Those who fell stayed fallen. Those who did not fall have remained. Uh, God somehow made them safe, we believe. Um, it, and who have been redeemed from the earth. So that's, uh, thank you, Kirk, for showing us that. So that 144,000 are people redeemed from the earth. And we, I believe it's symbolic of all the redeemed of all time. Um, and then in verse 4, I've already talked about all that. Um, they haven't defiled themselves with women for their virgins, but again, and, and just in case you think I'm just talking out through my hat or whatever that saying is, in James, what does it say? The friend, the friend of the world is the enemy of God. He's, and, but he starts that verse with, you adulteresses, adulterers and adulteresses. You, you, have, you have betrayed God. You have, you have, you have uh, betrayed your faith in him. And so... Um, there is another proof that it's another word for faithful Christians. Um, so they fought, and notice this, they followed the lamb wherever he goes. This morning I felt, I, I had just been studying this last night, and that was just stuck in my head. It, I follow him wherever he goes. And I also knew Pastor Stephen was going to tell you all that uh, uh, sometime much later this year he'll be, he'll be going back to Israel. And, uh, and, and I figured people were going to tell me, I know it's hard for you, and sure it is, absolutely. Um, but uh, it's the family business. We go where the king sends us, and that's just the way it works. Um, but they've been, these have been redeemed from mankind. As, and here, here's a, do you see this problem? Look at verse uh, 4. They've been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. Now, wait a minute. I just said they were this. All the redeemed of all mankind of all time. How can they be first fruits? It's a good question. It's one you do have to struggle with if to, to translate this, to understand it. Let me push you in a direction. So if you don't want to be pushed in this direction, ignore what I'm about to say. What would be the second fruits? Or, to put it in a more colloquial way, does God have grandchildren? What is Jesus called? The firstborn of, of many brothers. So everybody is saved as a first fruit. 
There's nobody that is saved that is a second fruit. I didn't get saved by uh, uh, E.J. Daniels. The evangelist was preaching when I turned my life over to Christ. He didn't save me. Jesus saved me. God doesn't have grandchildren. Saved people don't, leave, don't, don't save people. Y- y'all know the, the historical, could be apocryphal story about Billy Graham on the airplane, sitting next to the drunk, drunk guy sitting, and, and uh, when I heard the story told, he was like, he said, I knew what was coming. Guy sitting there and goes, hey, you're Billy Graham. Yeah. Guy says, you saved me at one of your crusades. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it's sad that Billy Graham said, well, I must have saved you because the Lord sure didn't. <laughs> so uh, I, now that's, that's kind of apocryphal. I don't know if that's really true or not, but, but that makes that point. We're all first fruits. God didn't have second fruits. We're all brothers to Christ. I mean, that, I know Christians that don't like to hear that, and I do not say that lightly ever. Because it's, we, we don't want to sound like Jesus is like us because he is, but he's not. But he's making us like him. That's the point. He, he's bringing us to look like he does, not to be deity, but to, but to in appearance, be like him. So, um, I, I, that was very meaningful to me as I was studying this. Uh, uh, because I wouldn't even noticed it, but the commentator said, First fruits. Well, wait a minute. Um, and by the way, so I said, let's suppose for a minute I'm right, and these are all the saints of all time. So how did those Old Testament saints get saved, and how did they get to be in the church in Christ? Yes, through faith. Hebrews 11. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Old Testament too. So. That what was their faith in? See, we, we, what is our faith in? Let me, let's start with the easier one. What is our faith in? If you're a believer in Christ, what is our faith in? The Lord Jesus Christ. Right, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we have a phrase for it we say all the time. When I say it, you go, oh yeah, we do say that. The finished work of Christ. In other words, there's nothing I can add to it. That's why it's finished. I, don't, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything to be saved. He has to save me. There's no act or work I can do to save myself. All I can do is acknowledge that he saves me. And when I acknowledge it, why am I acknowledging it? See, I'm using very careful words here, so so follow me as I say that. I, I use colloquial words a lot, but now I'm using very specifically. Why do I acknowledge that I'm trusting Jesus for my salvation because he saved me. I will never do that until he does save me. Because, say, well, just pray this prayer. Well, that's a work. And by work shall no man be saved. So when you pray that prayer, in my way of thinking, you are already saved. You're just now acknowledging it. And in that moment of recognition is when especially if you've had a radically changed life and you go, man, I pray a prayer and boom, everything went different. Well, yeah, but you just became aware that it was going different because it was going to go different anyway. Think, think about the apostles. What did they do until the day of Pentecost? They stayed up in the upper Now, he told them to stay in the upper room, but they were pretty shook up, right? Yeah, they were scared. Now, they saw the risen Lord, and then, but they still... They still weren't going out doing anything, and Jesus told them not to go out and do anything. Why did he tell them that? Because he hadn't given them the Holy Spirit yet. He didn't want them to go out and mess it up because they didn't, they didn't have the leadership, the, the presence of, of God with them. Now, why did God wait those days? I'm sure it's something about holidays and Jewish you know, things that we, we needed to see. But that's why Acts says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. There is a, a thing about the harvest and all in that. And so... When the Holy Spirit fell, boom, now power from on high comes down and they have the power to be his witness, as he said in Acts 1.8. And then after that, every new people group, half Jews and then full Gentiles, come to know Christ and they receive the Holy Spirit there. And once that happens, Peter is no longer necessary for the Holy Spirit to come. 
But he had to be there at Pentecost. He had to be there for the Samaritans. He had to be there for the Gentiles. But after that, now any person who acknowledges faith in Christ is filled with the Spirit. The Old Testament prophets, what, did, what was their faith then? That God would do something. They didn't know exactly what it would look like. They said, I don't know what it is, but I trust God. Now, I've heard apocryphal stories about missionaries going to, you know, headhunter guys in the midst of nowhere. And they asked, this is the simple story, but I read an actual account of, of one of these. But um, this, this kind of sums up what the, all these stories are about. And they said, who is your God? What do you worship? Do you believe in a God? Yeah, we, yeah. well, that guy over there, he believes in the tree God. He thinks, you know, and so that guy there, he worships the, the crocodiles. He thinks that's, you know, God's in that. This guy, he worships fire. He thinks fire. So what about you? So me, I, I don't know, but I believe there is a God and that somewhere, somehow, he's taking care of me. That's called faith. And so, do you need to know the name of Jesus? Well, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, if that guy on that imaginary island that we make up all the time, if he feels faith, that means God's sending somebody to him soon. Because that guy's going to be the first pastor. I think that's a true story. Oh, yeah, they are. That's what I said. I read a true one. Right. Yeah, that somebody's, and I, I firmly believe that. I don't think anybody out there is stranded that if they have faith, God's sending a witness to tell them the name uh, of Christ. I, I, I firmly, I firmly believe this. Um, and, okay, man, I'm, I'm way behind. I, I, like I said, I marked up this book so that I could uh, look down and find uh, certain things. Um, and by the way, okay, on the first fruits, he did say something cool here. Why, do we, why would we struggle with all saved people being first fruits as Americans? That's why we struggle with that. And you may not be struggling with it now, but when we say, well, wait a minute, you know, I, I wasn't there in, in the first century, you know, I'm this 2,000 years later, so I can't be a first fruit because, you know, I'm in a long line of believers. Why do we think that way in America? Because if you don't think like an American, it makes perfect sense. Oh, come on, y'all. I've been told to ask you a question and not answer. And said, you're too impatient. You answer for everybody. It, 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 you know why you're struggling with this? Because you are one. We're very individualistic. All the saved are a group. We are the church, and the church as a whole. Let's say Jesus comes back tomorrow. Most of the makeup of the church is already there, and we're just the last little group to get in, but we're all in the same group. I'm in the same group with Paul. Paul said in Philippians, my fellow workers who, along, who are those who, along with all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we are all, we see it as a whole. In Peter, I didn't say this this morning, this passage we've come to, Peter has gone from individual, like you ought to do this individually, to this is how the church ought to look. What I was saying this morning was how we are supposed to look together. I didn't make that point this morning. I, I, I guess the Lord didn't want me to. But, but so that's been in my mind a lot too. And he said it very well. First fruits can be used of a total group with a view to their total consecration to God. And that is the church. So um, we're all first fruits. Um, and th then we see all these uh, redeemed. Um, and let's, uh, let's look at that. And I saw another angel. And boy, this, this chapter is filled with, and I saw another angel. 
And we're not, we're not given much direction on who they are. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And then we come to another angel. Let's, let's stop at the first angel. We're not told much about this angel, but he's flying where everybody could see him. Now, it doesn't say that they can, but that is where he's located. And he's given the gospel to proclaim with an eternal gospel, and there's only one gospel, to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth. What is the point of him doing that? There's a very, this isn't exactly true, but there's a, there's a way I could say this, but it's, it's, not, it's not exactly true. It's not nice to say it this way either, but I probably will just so we can understand it. I'll say it nicely. I know I'll say it nicely. Sorry. Sometimes my brain gets stuck in the bad spot and then it gets through there. God's given them a last chance. One more time. This is it, guys. You know, you want in, you better get in now. This is a one-time offer. Now, I'm sorry, this offer is only good right now. If you walk off the lot, this deal is off. Okay, good. Then keep your deal. I'm gone, right? That's what these people are going to say. They're going to say, no, no, thank you. Now, which, why would they do that? Because what, what has the beast provided for them? up to this point, as we were looking at the beast last week. Food, shelter, protection, brought peace to the world. Have y'all, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, the world is, it, you know how you have that bag or garment or whatever, and there's just that tiny little tear, and you go, well, maybe it won't get any worse. You know, just that tiny hole at the end of your sock where you didn't trim your toenails right. Nah, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. And then you take a shoe back off and you got a gaping hole there. Why? Because it's going to tear. I'm hearing those threads popping and I'm reading the news, listening to the news. It, it's coming. It's coming fast. Fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth. He's telling them the hour of judgment is here. And we'll see that in chapter 16 with the, with the bowls. It's God's wrath on all these gods of the earth. And then another angel, verse 8, follows, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So what is Babylon? It's another angel. What is Babylon? I think this is one of the ones where I'm going, yeah, I think we know a little bit more these days now. What is Babylon? Who is Babylon? It's the place where this ring. Right. Now, now this is one of those times. When that angel says this in chapter 14, has Babylon fallen yet? No. 16. <laughs> Before he's going to destroy it. But God says it as if it's already happened, right? John is... John is stuck in time. Now, I know God's bringing him up into eternity and back out, and he's getting to go in and out, which that's a whole nother kettle of fish. But it doesn't matter. that He's a one-time guy. Not everybody gets to do that. Paul got to do it. John got to do it. Peter and James got to do it on the Mount Transfiguration, but other than that. So, um, and by, by the way... Are, I'm sorry, this is, a, this is a huge sidelight, but I just feel like I need to tell you as a shepherd. Do you understand that they are now medicinally using LSD? Now, I call it LSD because it's not LSD, I don't think. It's got a name, I can't remember the name. And one reason it's becoming super popular is we had a 20-year war, and we got a ton of guys that got real problems. And they're very real, and they, their suicide rate amongst vets is, is astronomical, it's horrible. And they've discovered that these, these um, what do you call them, psychedelics, um, 
help them because they, it's in a very controlled environment. It's a very, very low dose. But the only testimonies I've heard, and, and I've only heard a few, and there's probably hundreds if not thousands of them, it's about to be accepted in the United States. I think basically you might have to go to Mexico, but there, there might be some guys doing it in the U.S. And it's doctors administering it, and they're with you, and they're counselors, and they help them, and you can't just go do it. It takes like two weeks, and they take time. They do it over and over. They enter into a spiritual world in their mind, and they deal with a bunch of mess, and when it's over, they're like, man, it's like a load's been lifted, and I'm okay now, and I don't have PTSD anymore, and I got right with my wife. And, and many of them come out saying, oh, man, now, now I've got a greater faith in God. That ain't God, man. That's a false God. God did not want us to enter. I sincerely believe psychedelics take you into the spirit world. I have a good friend. Sorry. If you were listening, I'm so sorry. I have, I have a good friend. I haven't talked to him in many years now, but if I saw him, he'd still be a good friend. He, he loved the Asian culture. He's an American. Grew up in church. Walked away from God. He became a school teacher. He loved Asian culture. He loved, um, this is going to sound horrible to say it this way. Not, let me just say he was attracted to Asian descent ladies. Married a Christian Chinese lady um, who was raised by Southern Baptist missionaries. Her, daughter, her, her mom died and her dad wanted to remarry and have a son. And so he gave her away and the mission, Southern Baptist missionaries took her in. She grew up in China. She's on, she used to be on the website for the IMB. Anyway, he married her. So here's his testimony. He's in Japan as a traveling, teaching English and teaching in Japan because he loves that. He loved all that. Gone over there as missionaries many, many times. He's gone to places where they get called down to the, to the uh, police station. But, and, and he told me, he said, I'm with a bunch of people, and we went out and bought a $50 bag of mushrooms and started doing these psychedelic drugs. He said, every person in that trailer with me, their head and their face turned into a demon. And because he was raised in church, and I believe the Lord was still with him, he'd just gone that far off the trail. He just bolted out of that trailer. He said he went from being on drugs to being a sober, stone cold sober, left everything he had in that trailer, found a phone, this is decades ago, 30 years ago now probably, called his pastor in Virginia Beach and said, this happened. He said, where are you? Where's the closest, you know, Western Union? We'll send you the money. Get on a plane. He said, I left everything I had in Japan, got on a plane, came back to America. Got his life straightened with God. He said, that stuff's real. He, he, it took him a long time to ever tell me. He, wouldn't, he didn't want to tell me. Said, come on, man, I can handle it. So he finally told me. He didn't tell many people that. But um, it, it's, it's a very real thing. And sorry, I, I don't know what spurred that when I was reading this. Oh, Babylon. Babylon hasn't fallen yet. John going in and out of heaven. If, don't, don't buy into that. You will be promised if, when it becomes common and available, a lot of people are going to do it because it helps you get rid of all these that you think. But if we will understand this and apply this, the same thing will happen. This takes work. That's a shortcut. And Satan's always about the shortcut. Anyway, don't forget that. Do you know what they, well, I'll ask my ranger brother. Um, what did they teach rangers about, okay, I got to get from point A to point B. What is the most dangerous way for me to go? Straight line? Yeah, a straight line. It's the worst thing I could do. Well, there's a road that goes there. Let's just go down the road. No. Go as far out of the way as you possibly can. Because nobody expects you to do that. God's, God's way is a narrow and straight path with him. But in this world, it's not the easy way. It is the hard way. You know, God is not a microwave God. He saves us. We're redeemed. Nothing we can add to that, and that's fine. But... The Christian life is one of discipline, and it's a long road, okay? So Babylon has fallen. Babylon is, is the wor whole world system. Um, Jerusalem is called Babylon in Revelation. R I'm sorry, not Jerusalem. Rome, R it's believed to be Rome. 
um, political, moral, cultural, and religious corruption. All of that. It's, it's everything. This morning we were talking about the flesh being the whole life. So Babylon represents all of unredeemed mankind or all of Satan's unredeemed uh, problems with us. The third angel, there's a third one. Man, it's already time and I didn't even get through 14. So we're, we're going to take, we, I want you to see all this stuff in these chapters. I think it's so important. So we'll stop after this angel and we'll come back next week and start there. Another angel, a third, followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on their forehead or his hand, he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name." That punishment is in the future. This is another, whatever the big word was, proplectic statement. This is how the end's going to look. And God's telling them, oh, you're having a good time now, but here's the payoff at the end. Satan, uh, we came up with that saying, all that, uh, all that glitters is not gold. And, and the devil even... Uh, about three decades ago, made a, gave somebody a hit song, All That Glitters Is Gold. I like what Tolkien said, all that is gold does not glitter. Okay? Sometimes the divine is hidden, and what we're seeing is, is a fake. So anyway, um, so here is a prediction of their final torment and torture. And I, I said something about hell this morning, I think. Didn't I say that in the, in the sermon? I really didn't even mean to. I don't know. Uh, but I was studying this, and that came out. Um, that, that the terms for heaven and hell, our translations, King James didn't do us any favors. It, it uses some words interchangeably that do not apply to what's actually going on. So we'll break that down next time so you can understand better. But... But the representation of hell became the valley or the place called Gehenna, which is where they would take and sacrifice the babies to Moloch and burn them. And the ashes of those children were there. And so when Jesus said, um, you'll go to this place of fire where the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. And it was, it, it was symbolic to them to understand that place. Um, but hell is a real place and these are some of the uh, descriptions of it. But before we, before we leave this, look at these two verses, and this will kind of round this out. Verse uh, 12, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. This is exactly what he said in, in the last chapter 2, in chapter 13 as well. Because he's telling us, you're going to be tortured, you're going to be put to death, but here's the judgment these people are going to get. What's going to be exciting in, verse, in chapter 16 is the prayers of the saints in the beginning of Revelation and the saints going through this in chapters 13, 14, and 15. They are vindicated. God answers their prayers and judgment comes. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty dramatic. Uh, and then verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So what you take to heaven is what you did for the Lord. Okay? There's a, you're not going to carry any of the silver or gold um, that you earn here. Your prestige, your power means zip, nothing, nada. Um, I only know old jokes because I'm old, or old stories, but um, you know the one, because we always say you can't take it with you. And so this Christian guy, he, he, he made a lot of money, invested in gold, and he had, he had a lot of wealth. And uh, he begged God, he said, God, I really just want to bring a bag of my gold with me. I want to bring it to heaven. Y'all know this joke? And just please, Lord, please, 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 I just want to bring this to heaven. And he said, 
would you give me permission? Because, you know, I know you can't bring it with you, but it's just something I loved while I was here. And God said, sure, I'll let you do it, but why would you want to bring pavement? Why would you want to bring pavement? <laughs> it's just, it's just the, it's not even as good as the one there. It's just the road we walk on. Nothing on this earth will compare to that. That's, Paul said it, that I'm convinced that the, these present sufferings, these moment, he called them momentary light afflictions, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. We, all these things of earth that grab our attention and hold us will mean less than nothing there, unless what we did was for the Lord. And that's the only thing we can bring with us. And it's so hard because we are physical. We have physical existence here in a physical world. And it's hard to get around that. It's hard to see through what is in front of us to see what's behind that. Um, Pastor Stephen was at a missions conference last night, in fact, just last night. And, and he was telling me one little thing that he heard there. Uh, Dr. Chuck Lawless was speaking. I, and like I said, it was a missions conference. Uh, and I think it was in Roanoke. And, um, and, and it was, you may know this. It was just, it kind of like, it's one of those things where you hear it and hear it and hear it and it clicks. I think it just finally clicked with him because he knew this as well. What is true about every lost person in the world? Besides, they're lost. Why are they lost? That's what I'm asking. What keeps them lost? Besides not hearing the gospel, let's say in America somebody's heard the gospel. What keeps that person lost? Satan. That the God of this world is blind in the eyes lest they see the glorious light of the gospel, right? That's what it says in Corinthians. They're lost because Satan has blinded their eyes. And so I'm going to say this. Uh, this. This isn't nice for us, but it's not a bad thing to say. But I hear a lot of people in the church, uh, churches, not our church, but churches and the Christian environment, we, if, if you're not the right political party, we're mad at you. If, um, if you are, you're living the wrong lifestyle, whether it be any of the alphabet, LGBTQ, or the plus, well, you're just horrible. Um, if, you, if you act out on all that, you, I don't want you around me, around my kids. Um, you know, we look down our nose at, at the down and outers. Why are they there? The God of this world has blinded their eyes lest they see the glorious light of the gospel. We, yes, thank you. We should only know pity. When you see that, to say, oh my, my enemy has captured that person. And it's my job to tell them about the Savior once set them free. Man, you start reading this stuff of what's coming at the end, and what the lost will experience, and what we will experience, that shouldn't be our only motivation. I'll be the love of the Lord, and he told us to go do it. But the Bible says, as, as were some of you, but you received grace. And Paul said, I was the chief of sinners because I killed the elect, but I received grace. So don't, don't forget that. We're studying this stuff, man. It's just, whew, it's kind of heavy on me today. And uh, we, we, we got to remember that. Um, and just because I got a judgmental spirit sometimes, um, I have to remind myself. I have to, the wisest man in the world, he used to do this to himself. So I say, Burchett, why did you? And he, you know, almost like he'd stand in the mirror and talk to himself like that. And sometimes I, I have to, at least uh, symbolically in my head, do the same thing. Well, let, let's pray. God, uh, we, thank you for giving us details about what this is going to look like. Um, but uh, at the same time, it is, it, it, the, 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 the death of the ungodly, of the, of the lost, is horrifying and in ways that we cannot fully comprehend. And our death is glorious in ways we cannot comprehend. So um, 
we don't need to know everything about what you're going to do for us. You even said, if I told you all of it, you couldn't, you couldn't receive it. You couldn't even understand it. Um, I think somewhere you said it would, it would kill us to see. Well, we know if we saw you and your glory unveiled it, uh, it would absolutely kill us. And so, Lord, we thank you that you put on that, that uh, human body. You became a human. You, you weren't just filling a, like a puppet uh, uh, costume you you were a man you were human so that we could see the image of God in you not the physical but what is there the spiritual and that uh, and that these bodies in which we live are just kind of like seeds it'll be planted and one day uh, these die and, and you're going to make it brand new and we're going to be with you soul and body we thank you that those that we know that are in you that have gone on before us and fallen asleep are with you now in spirit and that uh, uh, they look forward to the final redemption just like we do. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that these things will not be just a study in our heads, but they'll be a reality in our heart and lives. That, uh, that as we see what is coming, that we will stand firm today. Uh, Lord, just the littlest things today keep us from following you. And so, if we found ourselves in this situation... Um, why would we think we're going to do any better then? So, uh, Lord, we may never see what is written here in Revelation except from the viewpoint of heaven, and that would be fine as well. Um, but, Lord, we, we just seem to, uh, we got a, a really strong feeling that, uh, that some of us, even in this room, may see these things at least get started. So, uh, Lord, we just pray that we'll be faithful to the end. As Paul said, he was faithful to the fight and faithful to the faith and faithful to the end. And so, Lord, may that be true of us as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.